Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, last Sunday, if you were not here, you missed an excellent sermon from uh, Joel White. He is a missionary to Germany, and Joel came and shared with us last Sunday about the dangers of bad theology, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Joel uh, teaches theology in Germany, and Joel actually teaches at one of the only seminaries left in Germany that still holds to biblical foundations. Uh, Every other college and seminary over there has gone the way of denying scriptures and denying Christ, and Joel came last week and shared about how that is dangerous in many aspects. But one thing he did not mention, um, when we have bad theology, which theology just simply means the study of God, and as we abandon God's word, which so many have, and it's sad because it's been happening within churches, uh, within Europe for for sure and for many centuries. But when we have bad, bad theology, church, it leads us to humanism. It leads us to the worship of oneself, the worship of the created rather than the creator. And I thought Joel did an excellent uh, explaining that one last Sunday. Well, two weeks ago, we did a quick little mini-series about at the feet of at the feet of Christ. If you miss those, we, we do have those online, but we looked at a couple different counts from, from Mary there and Mary and Martha. And well, this week we are going to start a new series called Being a Witness is the title of this week's sermon. And, and if you have been attending Woodland for any period of time, we do talk quite a bit about Hey, as a believer, as a Christian, our calling, our job is to be a witness to this world. And throughout the years, um, people have kind of said, well, what does that exactly mean? What does it mean for us to be a witness? And you've probably seen a couple of examples within our culture. Does being a witness simply mean we all get signs and we write on those signs, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and is, is simply being a witness, meaning we stand on street corners? Uh, does being a witness simply mean we go door-to-door knocking, asking if we can come in for some awkward tea, and we want to tell them about something? Or is just being a witness just us doing a missions trip once a year? Or maybe we're, we go on mission like what the Mormons do for, for, for two years. When we say being a witness, I, I think that Many people get very worried, and they are not totally sure what that means. Well, good news, church family. Your pastor is going to tell you today what this means. That's the exciting part. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and please stand this morning. We are going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 17, and we are going to be reading the Word of God this morning Starting in verse 17, this is what the Word of God says. We're going to be reading all the way to the end here. He said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of elegant wisdom, lest the cross of of Christ be empty of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. 
Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debtor, debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand a sign in the Greeks' wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to your word today, as we seek you, Father, would you come and would you minister to us today? Lord, would you remind us of our calling? And Father, would you empower your church to be a witness to this world? I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. You guys may be seated here. So we jumped into verse 17, which is never something that, I always say that, it's never something I want to do, but we always do it. Okay, so, but let me just give you a quick recap of what is happening here in the book of Corinthians. So Paul is opening up this book because the church is having a little bit of an argument. They are arguing, who are they following? Um, some are saying, I, have, I follow Apollo. Some say, I, I follow Cephas. And they're kind of arguing amongst themselves who they follow based on who baptized them. Now, if you here have been baptized by me, it would be like if, a, if there was something that broke out within this church. I know Pete has baptized quite a few students. And, and if there started to become sort of argument within this church, and some of you said, well, I follow Pete because Pete baptized me. Well, I follow Jeff because Jeff baptized me. Paul is making this argument to him, listen, it's not about who baptized you. First of all, and in, in, in right before verse 17, Paul even says, listen, I don't even know who I baptized there. I'm not even sure. I might have baptized one of you. But hear me out, Paul says. And in verse 17, he says this. He said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of elegant wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul isn't saying that baptism isn't important within that verse. He is just amplifying that the gospel is what Paul came to preach. And Obviously, when somebody responds to the gospel, baptism follows naturally after here. 
But Paul comes and says, listen, I did not come just to baptize, but I came to preach. And I preach the gospel. And we get two lines here that Paul says. He says, not with words of, not with words of elegant wisdom. See, Paul is speaking to Greeks in this setting. He's speaking to the church within Corinth. Corinth would have been very much um, grown up with the idea of the Greek philosophers. And Paul is kind of playing on words here to kind of let them know that he doesn't come like the philosophers come. See, the, the, the philosophers like Aristotle and Plato, they would come with elegant words. And Paul wants the church to understand that Hey, when I come, I'm not coming here to give you these great, elegant words like the, like, like the philosophers do here. He actually says these words, En Sophia Legu, which means in cleverness of speaking, which is something that Paul says, I do not come within, with cleverness. I do not come to somehow try to convince men and women of the arguments of who Jesus is. And Paul says, the reason why I do not come with elegant words is because if I did, he actually says, you you can throw verse 17 up there, Boyne. He says, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, the cross of Christ in the Greco-Roman world made absolutely no sense to them at all. And I share that because... um, Paul actually goes down on this a little bit further, but the cross in the Roman world was simply a sign that a sinner, somebody who was guilty of terrible crimes, has now faced their punishment deserved to them. So when Paul says, I come and preach the cross of Christ, the cross just within the Greco-Roman culture was just that word alone brought on so many like, well, how, how can you be talking about the cross of Christ? Because the cross is for sinners. The cross is, is not for a righteous person at all. And Paul actually goes upon this in verse 18 through 23. Please reread this to me. He said, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. There, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Like I said, the cross of Christ at this time and even within our time, it made no sense. It truly didn't. For a man to come to town and say, let me tell you about the cross of Christ. They would have all had images. They would have all have probably have seen a crucifixion because this was Roman's way of keeping the people in line at this time. But in the midst of this, it's foolishness to the world, is what Paul says in verse 23. He says, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's folly to the Gentiles. The reason why it was foolishness or a stumbling block to the Jews is because the Jewish people believed 
that God has cursed a crucified person. To them, when they saw somebody crucified, to them that meant God has cursed that person. And like what I said, to the Gentiles or, or to the Greeks, it just simply means there was, that person deserved it. You know, they should have been on that cross. Well, Paul here, he says, I come and I preach about the cross. In verse 17 and 18. In verse 18, he says, For the word of cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. When we talk about being a witness, church family, the Bible is trying to make it clear within these verses that being a witness to this world is us proclaiming to the world the power that's found in the cross. Paul here says they're not going to get it. It's foolishness to them. The Jews want, they want signs, the Greeks, they want wisdom, but we come and we preach about the cross of Christ. And as we look at the world we live in as well, the cross of Christ is probably a confusing message to this world. Have you ever just told somebody? I mean, just randomly. I know you guys love to just randomly talk to people on the streets. Just walk up to them and be like, the cross of Christ is the power of God. It's a little bit confusing if you just look at it within that kind of context there. And at this time, he was saying, listen, culturally, people don't get it, but this is what we preach. This is what we bring to the table. And why do we preach about the cross of Christ? It's not a complicated message. It's not a message that is like just overly confusing. It's a very, very simple message. The sinless died for the sinner is the message of the cross of Christ. Let me say that again. The sinless died for the sinner is the message of the cross. And who was the sinless? It was Jesus Christ. He came. He lived. He never sinned. And he went to that cross. Look how Colossians describes Christ. He says he is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The one who died on that cross, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Everything that was created in heaven and on earth was created for him, through him, by him. And he is the one who died on the cross. And he suffered on the cross for who? This is a question. This is, yeah, there you go. There you go. Good answer. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, I know you guys all know this, church, and you guys are probably sitting there saying, well, pastor, we totally get this. 
you know, we have heard this message, this message. I've grown, I've grown up in church. I've been to church. I know this message. This is the message that, that Christ has called us, church, to bring forth to this world. And I bring this up today because God has called his church, his people, to be a witness. And I know that I've talked about that a lot at church. And I feel like sometimes people get very very overwhelmed with this idea, like, what does it mean to be a witness for Christ? How can I be his witness? And I've just seen throughout the years, people, they, to be simple, they overcomplicate it. We just overcomplicate sometimes the message of Christ that's called to be bringing to this world. When Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, he starts off by simply saying, listen, I came to preach Christ, Christ crucified. I'm coming here to talk to you about one thing and one thing only, about the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is what restores sinners, church family, is what restores us to God. Now, like I said, you guys probably know this message, but this is the message we're called to bring to the world around us. To say, hey, world, you need to be restored to God. There's only one way. And it was a brutal way, but it's also a glorious way. And this way was made for you and for I, that Christ came to save sinners. And he did so through the cross. He took the punishment of sin and nailed it to the cross. He took our sins and nailed it. He, he stepped in our place to die for sinners like you and for like me. And I just think sometimes we can get so bogged down with like, well, I don't know what to say and I don't know how, how do I phrase this? How do I even bring this up? It's us proclaiming what Christ has done. That he, he came and he died for sinners. And you should be the first to admit that you are that sinner that he died for. You know, we don't go around preaching, well, okay, Christ died for sinners. But like, I'm not one of those sinners, right? You know, like, and I don't think anyone here has ever said that out loud. I really hope not. We should really talk afterwards. If you've, if you've ever said those words, well, I'm not the sinner, you know, you know, that's for other people there. But have you ever gone to the world and say, hey, world, you sin. You need Christ. Maybe you're at the office and you see Barbara getting water. Barbara, you're a sinner. And Barbara looks at you and says, no, I'm not. And then you can say, Barbara, I heard you talk last week. Just your words alone, kind of, can we just kind of talk about this? Can we just accept this reality? And I don't, guys, I don't understand why this world, for whatever reason, the times that we are living in, and maybe this has always been, I don't understand how people, human beings, walk around in our culture truly believing that they don't have a sin problem. I, I kid you not, we see this all of the time. If you try to like, confront something about sin, people will like, deny sin. I, I don't sin. I'm not a bad person. I do good things. I once helped an old lady cross the street. I picked up groceries this one time. I've given money to the homeless at one point. I'm good. My heart's good. And it's like we have all of this going on here. But the message of the gospel is that he came to die for sinners. 
And we tell the world that. We tell the world that he died for sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, but there's a way. You know, that's why we call it the gospel. That's why the gospel is called good news. Have you ever thought about why we have four gospels? If you've ever read the New Testament, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the gospels. They're all leading. Every single gospel, think about this, every single gospel is leading to one event. Every single one of them is. And they all finish with what? The crucifixion and the resurrection, obviously, as well. But they're all building. They are all pointing us to this is who Christ is. This is what Christ has done. Look at him interact with sinners, and then look what he has done for the world. And our job, church family, is to simply tell the world what Christ has done. And I've said this already, but we can't overcomplicate this. And And I realize there is sometimes fear in us telling people what Christ has done, that people get very nervous sometimes. Well, pastor, I don't know what to say. How do I bring this up? How, like, say, what is this conversation supposed to be looking like? Well, that's where wisdom and that's where just having people skills, I I do think, have to, like, kind of come in. All of you know how to talk to people, and I know that because you talk to people every single day, Okay. Like, you know how to talk to coworkers, you know how to talk to your spouse, you know how to talk to other human beings, okay? You already got that part down. But how do we bring the message to Christ? Well, I want to give you just some brief encouragement, real quick, that Paul gives to the church back then that um, I think will be helpful for us. I got lost here in my... Uh, Okay, verse 26, Boyne, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. So Paul is speaking to the church. I bring, I bring this message. I, I bring Christ crucified. Look at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Now, put yourself in these shoes, just real quick. Not many of you were wise, according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of, normal, of noble birth. As Paul's writing to this church, he just simply reminds them, hey, this message of the cross, I just want you guys to know that not many of you were really that great in the world standards. Now, I don't know about you in this room. Um, Is anyone here related to the Kennedy family in America? Do we have any Kennedys in here? Do we have anyone related to high, powerful political figures? Clintons? Just throwing that one. Trumps? I don't know. Just, just, I'm, just, I'm just trying to relate it to the scripture here. Paul is saying not many of you come from just like lofty backgrounds. You don't come from this greatness. But Paul is saying that's okay. That's not how the message of Christ gets spread. It, it's not about how great you are or what your background is or what your, or your simple heritage, heritage is. If you know me, I always like to brag I'm Jeff, son of a truck driver. That's my history, and my, great, and my grandfather was a truck driver, and my grandfather beyond that, I don't know what was. He probably drove truck too. But Paul is saying, listen, it's not about your great noble birth or you being this, this great person to be able to bring this gospel message. In verse 27, he says, For God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, who do we boast in? The Lord. We boast in how great the Lord is, how great Jesus is, how great the cross of Christ is to this world around us, church family. We tell the world, this Jesus has died for us. And we call this world, we call sinners to come to Christ. The conversations, they might look different. The conversations... I don't know, I can't explain every single conversation that be taking place, but I do know we have this calling to just simply be a witness of what Christ has done. And we let God do his work. And I've said that many times. It's, it's not up to us. It's not based on our, on, on our power. It's not based on our worldly wisdom. It's not based on where we sit within society. We come and we proclaim Christ crucified. That the sinless died for the sinners. We proclaim it to the world. And we watch God work. In, verse, in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the, the testament of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I don't know how to say this nicely, but one day, church family, you and I will stand before the presence of a very, very holy God, before a king, before the king, before the God who created all that you and I see. And we will stand before him one day. And I'm wondering if we will be a witness for him on this side of heaven. And I realize it can be scary. I realize we always don't know what to say. To me, those are just great opportunities. If you come up to, to someone and they've got all these Bible questions and they've got all these things, you just say, listen, I don't have all of those answers, but I would love to just, to just discover those answers with you. Here's... The deal, people, that when we proclaim Christ, people might have more questions. They may actually be seeking God. But here is the great news. Is that guess what? If somebody seeks God, what happens? They find him. Like, I mean, like, I mean, like Scripture makes this extremely clear. Anybody who seeks me, they will find me, God says. If they have any inclination of who God is, what he is, what he has done, if you seek God, God always reveals himself. And if you come across someone and you're like, listen, I got to tell you about what Christ has done for all of us. He came, he was crucified for the sins of the world. He died for the sinners. He died for you and for me, and he calls us to put our hope and our trust in his death and resurrection. And if they start saying, well, I got some more questions, that's just a great way to say, well, listen, I got, I got questions too. Let's, let's go to the scriptures. If you're actually seeking God, if you actually want to figure out this life, 
God reveals himself to men and to women. And all of us in this room who have come to know Christ, you all at one point in time had this inkling inside of you saying, well, i got to kind of figure this out. i got to figure out who God is. i got to figure out who Christ is, whether you grew up in the church or not. At some point in time, you start to feel drawn to Christ, and then you start asking questions, and then you start seeking him, and you start finding him, and you start trusting him. But the introductory message is Christ crucified. I want to challenge us this week, church, especially college students. You guys are back on campus. You guys face the wisdom of the world. And I think about professors, and I think about all of these people that got all these letters in front of their names, that they're so wise, and they they know everything. You guys don't know anything, but I'm telling you this, you do know something. You know Christ crucified. That's all that you need to know. You proclaim it on campus. The world will call you foolish. It literally warned you right here. You're going, they're going to look at you. You're, they're going to call you a fool. They're going to say, you don't know anything. And you say, I know and I trust Christ and his death and his resurrection. And I know that that man died for me. What's the most famous Bible verse, church family? Thank you. Boyne, put it up there. It's the simplest message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The cross of Christ is us. We just proclaim it, church family. I want to encourage you this week. Proclaim this message. Look for opportunities. Look for conversations. Right now I'm meeting with a professor from Northern. He's a very, very smart man. And I'm not even going to get into how his life and my life have have been crossing paths. But I have opportunities that I'm grateful for. And this man's very smart. And I'm so looking forward to to sharing with him again about the cross of Christ. It it, it, It probably sounds foolish to him right now. It, it sounded foolish to me at one point, too. It probably sounded foolish to you. But as God works on hearts and minds, it becomes the saving power of God, Scripture says. So I want to encourage you. Share about the cross of Christ. And I'd also like to encourage you today, if you have never responded to the cross of Christ, respond today. If you have never come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you have never put your hope and your trust in what Jesus has done for you on that cross, put your hope and your trust in him today. He came for sinners like you and like me. And he died for us. And he rose for us. And scripture is very clear. Whoever believes in him, whoever, any background, any place in life, any person, whoever believes in the one and only Son, You will not perish, but you will have eternal life found within Christ Jesus for all eternity. He is our hope. He is our Savior. And I want to challenge you, put your hope and your trust in him today. We're going to sing a last song, which I think is extremely fitting. It's a classic hymn. I'm going to challenge you, put your hope in him today. In church family this week, let us proclaim what Christ has done. Let me stand and and let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, the message is simple. 
Father, help your church, your people, not, not to complicate it. Father, empower your people. Lord, give us strength, give us encouragement this week. Father, help us to look for opportunities to share with this world the great news of your son, Jesus. Father, help us to walk confidently in you, not in ourselves. And Father, I pray also, Lord, that if we have not responded to the cross, that we would do so this day. Father, that we would bend a knee to your authority, that we would come to you in gratitude for what you've done for us. Father, help us. Help your church. Help your people. Pray this now in Christ's name.